a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. Welcome to Aspect Radio. I'm Ben Flanagan, and before we get started here, I think it's worth noting that my co-host, Corey Kraft here, who works for the Tuscaloosa News, is part of a Pulitzer Prize-winning staff. The Tuscaloosa News was recognized by the committee that selects the Pulitzer winners for its breaking news coverage after the April 27th tornado that everybody knows about, and I think it's worth extending a hearty congratulations to you, Corey. Well, thank you. Thank you. Congratulations, Corey. Thank you, Andrew. Team effort, of course. Right. But, um, that must have been pretty exciting news. It was It was a tremendously exciting day for us at the Tuscaloosa News well, on Monday. It's definitely worth mentioning. But well, well, thank you. Continue, please. Well, uh, I am Corey Kraft, as been already <laughs> introduced. Today, as promised, we will spend some time with the Three Stooges, more like as warned. And uh, we'll take a brief look at the Raid Redemption. But first, let's take a trip to a cabin in the woods with this latest horror offering from producer co-writer joss whedon and director drew goddard the cabin in the woods sign says closed we're looking for uh, what's it called tillerman road not to get you there getting back that's your concern (laughs) this is awesome to the gate. They are come to the killing floor. Let's get this party started! I seriously believe something weird is going on. Now, a lot has been made of this heavily hyped film's turns, but I don't think there's a way to talk about The Cabin in the Woods without at least delving into some of what makes the plot go. So I'll just say this. If you're looking to keep your experience with the film completely unspoiled, it might be best not to listen to this review, but we're not going to give away any of the big surprises in the film. In any case, it's not a film that hinges on any one big twist. Much of what makes the film worth discussing is set up in the first few minutes of the movie in which we are introduced to two white-collar engineer types, played by Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford, having a banal conversation in their office setting. Just what their job is, though, and how it connects to the story of five college students heading to a remote cabin for a weekend of drug and alcohol-fueled fun is where the film becomes most innovative and interesting. The film's marketing promised that you may think you know the story, but as expected, this is no ordinary story set in a cabin in the woods. Whedon and Goddard's screenplay instead twists and plays around with the standard horror movie conventions. Ben, we've gotten a lot of examples of filmmakers playing in a metatextual sandbox and subversion of genre in recent years. And while you can't argue that The Cabin in the Woods doesn't have this meta aspect, did you find that the film was all ironic detachment? Or is there a genuine love for the horror genre and what makes it tick to be found in this film as well? Let me start by saying that I don't think that I can recall a film where the title card alone is worth the price of admission. (laughs) It's got one of the greatest title cards ever. It's pretty fun. In the history of movies. But after that, there is a point in this film where most audiences are going to want their money back and fast. You think that's fair to say? 
I don't know what point you're referring to. But well, to answer your question, that's disappointing. To answer your question, I think it's an amalgam of those things oh. that you mentioned. I think that in some ways it is all ironic detachment. But at the same time, it has a great affinity for the horror genre, even though it is sort of acting out its frustrations Mm -hmm. uh, on the genre as well. And that's okay, too. But I've got to say, I can't help but respect guys like Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard here for striving for originality. And if there's anything you can say about Cabin in the Woods, it's that it's one of the most original films to come out in the past several years. It really is. Well, it's a deceptively simple story that you're kind of surprised that nobody else had really tried before taking a shot at. But yeah, you know, it ends up being pretty special with well, what they did with it. I, like I said, I mean, I, I've got nothing but respect for these guys for trying to do something simple, yes, but original, too, and asking some questions that people have yet to ask and doing it in a very stylistic way that's interesting. I'm sensing there's a but coming. <laughs> but what I have very little patience for with movies, in original movies at that, is when they create this laundry list of rules, and I'm looking at you, lady in the water. <laughs> that has them writing themselves into corners. And I think that is the case many times throughout this movie. I think that it establishes so many ground rules and ends up violating a lot of those, probably deliberately in many Mm -hmm. cases. But I don't know. This movie is so tonally all over the place that I think that it struggles to decide which one it wants to land on. And once it does, by the end of the film and this buzzed-about climax, it kind of falls on its face a little bit. I think it makes the points that it wants to make, but I think it takes a long time and runs around in a lot of circles before it does that. Another but, I did enjoy it. It's really funny. The horror aspects of it are legitimately scary Mm -hmm. in parts. The characters are interesting. And again, I like that they're doing something different, but I can't say it all as a whole worked for me. It pretty much all as a whole worked for me. I figured as much. Yeah, yeah. This this is the sort of movie that's probably right up my alley. I'm just sort of in love with the with the world that they've built here and the ideas that they present. And and you know, like you said, its details probably aren't perfect. I can think of at least one major plot hole that would be kind of spoiling the particulars of the plot that I don't want to get into. But what they've created here with this movie and with the characters and with the ultimate design of where this movie takes us is really interesting and thrilling and clever and original. And it just kept me laughing consistently. And I didn't find it terribly scary myself, but it, you know, the places where the movie goes in its third act are just places that will excite even the most jaded fan of horror movies. Well, let me interrupt here for a second because you said you weren't scared most of the time. Right. It's not a horror movie. It's it's more it, of a comedy. Well, it's well, it's a comedy, but it's also a science fiction movie in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. I'd say even more so than a horror movie. And I know that those lines are blurred from time to time, but I think that if I were going to categorize this, it would be like more like action sci-fi comedy mm. than horror movie. It does, however, have the most affinity for and toward and and have the most love and criticism for the horror genre. I mean, this is a film that is both a love and a hate letter in some ways to the horror genre. You know, it embraces the conventions of the of the films without fully say, you know, fully giving them itself over to them and then by asking the question, why are these the conventions? Why do audiences want to see this? 
what is the point of the horror genre at all? And it really does juggle these questions in really interesting ways and really funny ways. You know, it's not a didactic test. It's still a really entertaining movie that just so happens to bring up these questions of horror filmmaking and people who watch horror movies uh, in, in an interesting way that leaves you thinking about it long after the film is over. Well, the movie is one big commentary on the horror genre. Yeah. One big thing, and I think that that's great. I like movies about movies, and I think that this is as much about movies as something like Day for Night is. Right. I think you can throw right. it in that category. Yeah, yeah. without explicitly being right. about movies. But see, but. that's kind of where I had the problem with this movie, because mm-hmm. I think, again, it gets a little too cute with this meta humor that it really pushes on the audience, and these guys are qualified to do it. Right. Guys like Joss Whedon, because they've been there, and they're obviously fans, and they're guys that do it and also observe it. So they're in a perfectly legitimate position to ask these questions and make these statements and tell this story in Cabin in the Woods. But I think that, again, it gets too cute when it's trying to parallel their point about movies with something that is tangible in this universe that they create. You're talking about the scene specifically with Bridget Jenkins and Bradley Whitford? A scene or... All the scenes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah but also... The in the first two-thirds of the movie, roughly. Yeah, but again, I mean, I, I think that this movie, had they directly referenced horror movies, I think I might have been more okay with what we got. You mean like... They're very coy it, about it. Right. So you wanted, like... I wanted them to name names. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because during the third act, mm-hmm. we see... All sorts of examples right. of horror movies that they're talking about in these conventions <coughs> that you've brought up, and honestly, instead of you just, wanted you wanted brand names in there, yeah, not instead the generic of generic version, instead of just paralleling it mm-hmm. and uh, using these more as like mechanisms to play out this game, I guess, yeah. or this this thing that they're doing for some things or people that I don't really want to get specific about. Instead of using them as mechanisms or paralleling it, I wanted it just to be it. And I wanted them mm-hmm. to sort of step outside of what they were doing and talk to us, the audience, about specifically, here's what we're talking about. Because I think the message is communicated. It's not like the movie is too vague for its own good right. because the message is loud and clear. It just, I don't know. I think if you're going to go there, then go all the way. Well, it seems like that probably would have been a, a rights nightmare, if nothing else. But I mean, like, like you said, I think the message is communicated, and I think what we get in the third act is pretty pretty amazing, I guess, for, for horror film fans, even if it doesn't have the brand names, so to speak that uh, horror fans really do treasure. But let's um, let's talk a little bit about the performances here. I think that a lot of fans of this film are pretty high on Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford as these two uh, white-collar guys, and rightly so. They're probably where most of the movie's humor comes from, but also the five kids are each given distinct, non-stereotypical personalities before the action starts going down. Then later, of course, they do grow more into the stereotypes that the genre requires and what is probably one of the more amusing twists in the movie. But of those kids, Fran Kranz, the guy who plays Marty, is a standout. He didn't stand out for me. I thought he was kind of annoying. He was supposed to be this version of the annoying stoner geek uh-huh. that you get in horror movies. But then it turns out that he just is annoying, and he is up until the end of the movie. I think, I think he's funny. I think he serves his purpose well. I get what they're doing with the character, and you have this arc that you don't normally see in these films where this stoner geek, instead of meeting a faith that you normally are used to, he takes on heroic qualities. Uh-huh. And I, I like that, but I just thought the performance was just way too nasally and annoying. I, I liked him. Okay. What did you think of Thor? 
He was great. Yeah. I thought he was really good because, again, I liked how they explored and sort of subverted these ideas that we have about these stereotypical characters in horror movies where you have this jock who is actually a smart guy. Yeah. And you have this bubbly, sort of slutty girlfriend of the jock who's actually like a pre-med student and yeah. is pretty smart and is only begins to turn <laughs> into this dumb blonde after she dyes her hair blonde, right. which is really funny. And then you can say the same thing about the other characters, too. You have this virginal character who, again, according to most horror movie rules is going to be your heroine. Your final girl, as uh, Behind the Mask would yeah. put it. Yeah, and they're all good. The Jesse Williams actor, the Holden character, he mm. was just sort of bland and didn't really do it for me. Uh, the character, that's probably the most underwritten of the yeah. the five kids, though, but he, he did okay. Dana, come on! What is that thing? We're going to lock this place down. He's right. We'll go room by room, barricade every window and door. We gotta play it safe. No matter what happens, we have to stay together. This isn't right. What? What's the matter? This isn't right. We should split up. We can cover more ground that way. Yeah. Yeah, good idea. Really? But you mentioned Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. I think acting-wise, they're definitely the stars of the movie. Well, they're old hands at it. Well, they are, and they needed old hands to drive this point and set this tone for them successfully. And I think that those guys certainly did it. In in a way, it's like, how lucky are you to have Richard Jenkins on a movie like this? Yeah. And Bradley Whitford, more than anything, reminded me of his Eric character from Billy Madison. He sort of had that (laughs) smarmy quality to him again, and he can play that so well. And I'm sure he probably does that to some degree on the West Wing and I haven't seen that entire series but he was to so, some degree yeah he was so funny in Billy Madison I just kind of felt like he kind of got to revisit that territory again a little bit a little bit but again going back to some of the problems that I had with it I think they try to create this ridiculous mythology down the stretch of the no, movie but that's no come on they it, just it, they it, don't try to create it especially near the end well it just I mean it's all throughout the no, movie it's, it, it's it, just it, fleshed out no for me it, it all sort of it does build up but I think they all sort of spew their guts out at the end of the movie and, and, and you end up having this mythology that sort of serves as commentary on top of their commentary that they're making and it kind of goes nowhere and there's this big climax in the movie that involves a cameo yeah. at the end and that to me just did not you didn't, work you didn't like the cameo did or the not, scene or any of it didn't like Nothing. any of it didn't Nothing. like it. there was no point to it they didn't need that the cameo just seemed like it was just sort of there this person was doing the filmmakers a favor i guess and then they end up coming in during this climax in monologuing they sort of fall into the the same traps that these bad horror movies that they're talking about normally do but hey it fulfills the uh the problems of the genre even while commenting on the problems of the genre you can't do that though. If you're Why comment- not? if you're commenting on Scream the, did it. If you're commenting on the problem, I think Scream might have done it a little better, frankly. Uh, but if you're commenting on the genre and you're looking to restore the genre and the better parts of it, then why do you revert to being as bad as some of the worst? Conventions? I don't think I don't think that this is that bad. That scene is not great, but it's not anywhere close to being 
you know, a movie ruiner or like it doesn't bother me. I don't know. It, it, to me, it reminded me of like a bad version of the whole architect sequence in The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, it's nowhere near that. I think it nowhere is. Nowhere near that, particularly because most of the information that this character is delivering is already information that we've been able to piece together. It's not new. I mean, most of it. There are, there are one or two things there where you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But most of the information that you're getting in that scene is stuff that anybody who had been like really paying attention, or not even really paying attention, I mean, it's blatantly spelled out. Throughout so why the do we movie. need that scene? I'm not saying that you need that scene, right. but what I'm saying is as far as exposition dumps go, it's not really that egregious because it's not, I mean, it's just spelling it out. It's throwing it out there for the cheap seats. I don't know. I think, it, I think the movie was smarter than that up to that point. And again, when it falls into these same narrative traps as the films that it's criticizing, it reminded me a lot of Mean Girls, uh-huh. which is similar in terms of tone and commenting on another genre right. of films it, where you have uh, Lindsay Lohan at the end of the movie. She just ends up kissing the cute boy at the dance, and it falls into that trap, too, that the films that it's commenting on, we're so used to seeing those do. But, look, part of me thinks, and I just don't want to spoil anything because Andrew's sitting here, and he hasn't seen the movie, and he deserves to see it fresh. But, again, the tone is just really all over the place. To me, it works best when it goes for laughs. And even during the scary and violent moments, it can be really funny. And I think in some ways it cops out in the violent moments, not in the big action sequence mm-hmm. towards the end, because right. you kind of have this gore fest that's just really Defiantly glorious. not a cop out. Yeah, and you get a lot of these characters get exactly what they deserve, and it's really sort of glorious. But when things get serious, I just think the movie kind of falls flat on its face, especially in the final moments of the film. Yeah, I disagree. I mean, I don't, I don't have any rebuttal. <laughs> I guess, other than that scene just works for me. And even then, it's undercut with a healthy amount of... I mean, the film up to that point had been so funny, and you've gotten to like these characters, and you know they're presented with this dilemma all of a sudden near the end. And they make a decision that's totally in keeping with their characters. And I don't know, it just worked for me. It was satisfying on an intellectual level and on a dramatic level. Well, again, there's so much to like about this movie. We've already talked about the performances. They're all great. There are so many funny and just great horror movie death death scenes. Great sight gags, great lines all throughout. It's just funny as hell. There's one death scene that I think a lot of people are going to end up talking about after the movie, and it's really funny. It's kind of telegraphed. You can see it coming if you're paying attention, but 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 when it happens, yeah, when it It happens, it is great. It really pays off. So, again, a lot to like about this movie, but just kind of a jumbled, mixed bag here for me. But I mean, this seems like it came through on its uh, promise when it was on your most anticipated of the year. I mean, this is my favorite movie of the year so far. It's just, you know, it's a delight for people who are really into horror movies, and it's, it's the things that it does with this genre and with these archetypes that we've come to sort of expect and and understand uh, in this genre. It's just, I mean, the way it it comments on them and subverts them is just pretty much endlessly delightful for me and for people who probably over-intellectualize horror movies. Well, and seeing all of these horror-related characters and creatures on the screen at the same time all at once just wreaking havoc to me that was just like a moment you know what i mean that was just totally cool it kind of reminds me of like the feeling i wish i had when i'm watching the trailer for the avengers where it's like oh they're all together they're all at once here we go this is going to be what i've been waiting for the whole time but i'm not getting it with that and i got it with cabin in the woods yeah so at least i got that from this movie let me ask you guys a question. Uh-huh. Would this be a good film for somebody who typically doesn't like horror movies? I don't know. Because I don't. But well, like, I well, enjoy Scream. 
I mean, it's more of a comedy, and if you at least know about horror movie conventions, then you'll probably find a lot to enjoy about it. Well, yeah. if you don't like horror movies, then you have something in common with filmmakers in that they're not satisfied with where the genre is. Yeah. And so they're really sort of just kind of punching the genre in the face and trying to give it a wake-up call. There are so many funny jokes that you're going to like it. If you, I mean, I'll probably don't. go see it because my wife loves horror movies. Yeah. I mean, even if you're not a big like horror movie fan, it's, okay. it's just funny as hell. You'll get something out of You'll, it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that answer. The film is now playing nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16. When we come back, we will get this damn Three Stooges review out of the way. Stick around. Hi. Hello. Not you. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back to Aspect Radio with Corey and our producer, Andrew. I'm Ben. Corey, we promised the people listening here that a Three Stooges review would happen, not that there was any demand whatsoever for it. Nonetheless, we insisted for some reason, and here we both are, having seen the Peter and Bob Fairley adaptation of the classic slapstick TV trio. Everybody ready for a good time? Shall we, fellas? <clears throat> Dynamite? Come on, what's the matter with you? You idiots, get out of here! Now look what you've done. Me? You started it! Hey, leave him alone. Shut up! I won't even bother with plot beyond these three dopes set out to raise money to save their orphanage. Hijinks then ensue. Corey, it's my big theory here that if you're familiar with this property and even sort of get a kick out of it, there's plenty to appreciate about the Fairley's tribute. This is no self-aware Brady Bunch movie-esque satire of the Stooges. This is simply the Stooges up to their usual antics, just in present day. Unfortunately, those who dislike or are just unfamiliar with these guys are more than likely going to despise this film. And who could blame them? I was leaving the theater of another movie last weekend when I saw a college-age girl walking out of the Stooges with a look of sheer disgust on her <laughs> face as she approached her boyfriend saying, this was the stupidest thing I've ever seen and just looked angry. So, Corey, I get the impression that you are either not a fan or just indifferent to Larry, Curly, and Moe. So the odds were slim that you dig this movie. So are you like that girl? Did you despise this experience? Guess what? No. Oh, boy. I didn't. I actually kind of liked this movie. Now, that comes with some pretty massive caveats. Um, <laughs> We're grading on a huge scale with this film. Not necessarily. Not well. necessarily. I don't mind this. I think it is, you know, and, and everybody knows that I can be kind of a curmudgeon when it comes to mainstream comedy. But th the thing is, like you said, this is the Stooges doing what the Stooges used to do. And, and also, like you said, I'm not really a big fan or, or know much about the property. I'd seen... a you know, a number of the shorts when I was younger and, and so forth, but it's not like... It doesn't take much to get the idea. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's these guys hitting each other in the face and getting hit with heavy objects also in the face. And you know what? If that's what they set out to do, they did it because 
there's a lot of really funny slapstick stuff in this movie. And even if like a lot of the modern day stuff doesn't really work for me, like the Jersey Shore thing and all that stuff that they sort of, for some reason, hung the whole marketing of the film around, what it comes down to is that this is a pretty good-hearted and innocently funny movie in a lot of ways. I mean, it's rated PG, it's geared towards families, and I think that a lot of younger kids, certainly the younger kids in the very crowded screening that I had of this movie, are going to dig it. They all seem to really enjoy it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, too. I saw the film with my dad, who grew up loving The Three Stooges. Uh-huh. He has a really warm affinity for the property, for sure, and that goes all the way back to his childhood, and we know how that works. We have that same affinity yeah. for certain properties at this age, having grown up with them, and there were times when these guys started bonking each other in the head, where my dad was laughing so uncontrollably that I thought, people are going to move away from us in the theater because <laughs> they they can't stand you know us laughing this hard. And he was kind of like Robert De Niro was in Cape Fear right. when he's watching Problem Child. <laughs> it was just like that. Yeah. I was like, Dad, you're like Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. But no, I, I think it's really good. I think that when they're up to those antics, the movie's really solid and mm-hmm. it's really funny. And again, we're talking about harmless family entertainment. And this is a film that is going to reach out to children because it appeals to children directly and also to these baby boomers who grew up watching it when they were children. Well, it's like it's like a movie that a grandfather could take his grandchildren to yeah. see. And they could both they, enjoy it. Yeah, they'd both really like it. I'd tell you, though, whenever the movie slows down for any sort of plot-related yeah. activities, yeah. you are, like, scratching your eyeballs out. It's pretty out. brutal. It is so bad. The stuff involving Sofia Vergara and the orphanage, Jane Lynch as Mother Superior. Larry David's pretty funny. As the, Larry David is really yeah, funny. The, the really super angry nun. And honestly, I thought Craig Bierko as this sort of like Boris from Rocky and Bullwinkle uh-huh. type character who undergoes all this physical humiliation and pain. I thought he was okay. I mean, in when terms he was getting of like, like hurt, yeah, yeah, when he gets hit by a bus or something like yeah. that, or gets into the cage with a lion. I thought that that stuff was pretty funny. Like if you were talking about things non Stooge related, but these guys just get it. Yeah. The, the Stooges. I mean, they just understand the universe. They understand the characters, the nuances. The physical comedy is so perfectly choreographed, and that takes some serious choreography. I mean, you've got to hand it to Will Sasso as Curly, Sean Hayes as Larry, and I don't even remember the guy who plays yeah, his name. Where did this guy come from? I, I don't know. know. He was like a stage actor, and he's done some TV. He's done some TV. Yeah, but this guy's good. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's really good. I was really, I was just shocked. Yeah, I mean, the three guys who play the Stooges, they earnestly embody these old Stooge, you know, shorts. They they really get into the characters. It's mm-hmm. not some sort of wink and nudge and like, hey, we're three modern guys, right? The three Stooges. They are the three Stooges. Mm-hmm. They're just played by different people. Right. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. They sell it. Hey, quit horsing around, you two. You're disturbing my coffee break. Oh, boy, donuts. Where's mine? They're small. Why don't you have two? Okay. Oh, now look what you did, Bo. You got donuts stuck in my ears. Hey, you're in luck. I got a donut remover right here. What's a donut remover? It's one of these. Donut remover. What are the odds of that? Hey, Mugwumps! Mother Superior's looking for you! Yeah, let me get him! Uh-oh. Is that Sister Mary Mangala? I don't know, but the face rings a bell.
I don't think that there's much to say beyond what we have yeah. about the Three Stooges, but I, I will say this. The Jersey Shore stuff actually worked for me. I was so scared going into the movie yeah. that it was just going to be so dumb and they were going to force this marketing ploy into it. But to me, it's like, and this is a, just a really basic reading of this, but it's like we're looking at these new stooges these modern day stooges who sort of do the same thing they yell at each other they beat each other up on this reality tv show and it's sort of similar to what we saw with the original three stooges and you, i just thought you, it was you watched that show right i well i you did i didn't watch this past season uh-huh. but it was just because i was busy believe me it's sitting on the dvr waiting oh, to be God. watched Right now. But no, it's fascinating. And I thought that it was funny that they were able to be the butt of jokes and Mo starts treating them like he would Larry and Curly right. and bonking them in the head. And I don't know, it worked for me. I will say this I, I was a little fearful in the first 10 or 15 minutes about this movie because of the kids. Yeah. The, the kid Stooges didn't do much for me. I thought the Curly kid was good, I thought he was pretty funny. Because I mean, look, Curly is just a great character. And well, he that that, that kid is that's the kid from uh, the Diary of the Wimpy Kid movies. I haven't seen that. He's one of the he's one of the little kids. Okay, in that. so he's he's actually experienced with screen acting. Yeah, I don't know. It, look, I typically don't like child performances, but the Three Stooges. I don't know. I think that they lend themselves to just broad silliness. <laughs> yeah, just broad, it up. If if you don't like broad silliness in that way, you're not going to like it when the adults do it. But right. I will say, like when the kids were on screen and they were taking their time, I guess with this backstory, I was sort of hyping myself up for when the adults get here yeah. to do what we've seen advertised. There. Man, I just I I can't say enough good things about Larry David in this movie, though. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't he, he gets enough to do. I he guess, didn't but. need the money. You no, know? but it was just fun. I mean, he's playing a nun named Sister Mary Mengala. <laughs> I mean, it's just funny. And the fact that Larry David is the butt of so many of these jokes and this, you know, slapstick silliness and getting hit over the head and having a bell dropped on him yeah. in a nun's habit and all of that. I mean, come on. That's just great. Yeah. It's again. just fun. It's just a fun movie. Yeah. You know, it's it like like you said, I mean, it's not one that we can really talk too much about, but I was honestly Really surprised by well, it. Well, does it surprise you that it ended up finishing second at the box office? No. I mean, it was a relatively weak weekend. It only ended up with like $17 million, Yeah, but I mean, The Hunger Games took number one again, yeah. and Cabinet of the Woods being rated R is third. With, but it was a pretty solid third, I thought. But Those middle-aged guys, though, they came out for it. They for, really did. For, for Three one? Stooges. Yeah. Now, you know, one thing I think that, and, and you know, audience can really play a lot into how much I respond to a movie to be honest like if if i'm not feeling my audience that can honestly play a great deal into how i respond to a movie and the audience that i saw the three stooges with was just so into it and i was sitting next to this guy uh who was probably about i don't know i I don't know how old he was maybe my age maybe younger but he was there with i guess a caretaker and he was so into the movie just making the yuck yuck yucks sounds and going woo every time they would like get into some silly hijinks and he did the curly hand thing that I don't even know what it is. And he kept doing this throughout the entire movie and it made it so much better. Yeah. It made it so much better to watch this with, with a group of like a large group of people who were so into it and laughing at everything. And you've got kids laughing, you've got, you know, their parents laughing. It was just, I don't think this is a great movie. I think it might, it's not a great movie. It might in the end be like barely a good one, but, but, 
you know, it's so much fun to watch that it's kind of hard to, it, it sort of renders the whole premise of critics talking about movies kind of invalid because, you know, nobody's expecting us to analyze the Three Stooges particularly deeply, and yet here we are. Well, maybe we shouldn't spend another segment on it then, so we'll go ahead and scrap yeah, this page. Yeah, take, take this page out. Well, the film is now playing nationwide in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16, and you should give it a chance. Yeah, yeah, if, if somebody as cranky as me can be won over by a Three Stooges movie, you know, why not? But we'll take another quick break and return with a quick visit with the Raid Redemption. Stay with us. Welcome back. Corey, my brother Graham recently shared his thoughts on the Indonesian action film The Raid Redemption back when it was still in limited release. But inexplicably, the film arrived in Tuscaloosa last week for us to finally see. We were super excited about that fact. Gareth Evans' movie got plenty of hyperbolic buzz as an instant action classic belonging among the likes of John Woo's celebrated shoot-em-ups like Hard Boiled and The Killer. And while Graham liked the movie, he wouldn't go that far with his level of praise. But will you? I mean, it's like those two movies if those two movies didn't have a plot. But otherwise, hell yeah. Yeah. This movie's badass. Yeah, I'm with you. I totally am. And kind of like the Three Stooges, uh-huh. whenever this movie slows down to... And it's, it's like, it, no, yeah, it, stop. It, 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 and to its advantage, it slows down for literally like two minutes yeah. at a time whenever it does. But I am just thinking, no, don't do that. I mean, I know you Stop might. Stop talking. Yeah, you need to catch your breath for a second. But no, just shoot. You yeah, know, punch. kill other people with yeah. machetes. Stop and, it. And when it's when it's on and when it's going 200 miles per hour, it is so just badass. It's, and it just seems like that's the only word to describe yeah, this movie. Yeah, it is. It is. I would say this is an instant action classic of a sort. I mean, this is another deceptively simple premise like the cabin in the woods you've got this team of cops you've got a skyscraper you've got bad guys the cops have to ascend the skyscraper and with each level of the skyscraper there are other bad guys it's like double dragon or something <laughs> you know it's it's just i was thinking of like yeah like double dragon or like streets of rage yeah, or streets something of like rage. that yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a better example well they're they're all good examples this movie is a video game it's, movie. it's a video game movie and it's that's that's the way it should be you know with action movies instead of these filmmakers who love those old action movies coming and talking about how they're going to make a movie kind of like that and the movie poking fun at itself and making references outwardly to those movies that they're paying tribute to it doesn't do that like say something like 21 jump street does and i know how you feel about that well that's you a know, comedy this is just nonstop. but, but i'm just like saying like, if, we're, if we're talking ownage. about if we're talking about any genre like scream too right. where it's making reference to the genre this doesn't stop to do any of that it just is that it yeah. just is one of those action movies and it should be on the same shelf as hard Boiled or The Killer or those other great Asian action movies or great action movies in general. This is just totally badass. And this is made by, what, a British guy who just loves those movies and set out to just make one of those movies. And it is so cool. This is one of those action movies where if you're in a theater, and there weren't many people in the theater because a lot of people didn't know this movie was in town, but yeah. it got audible responses from some of the kills. Oh, I was I was yeah. responding. yeah. I mean, it's hard not to. I mean, you see this in a in a theater. I mean, this is the sort of movie that you have to see in a theater, which is bad news for the Tuscaloosa area and probably most every other theater in the state because I don't think this movie's sticking around. It's much gone. Longer. It's gone. It's completely. gone. Yeah, it's gone. It's not in Tuscaloosa anymore. Well, yeah, I, I knew that it was that it was closing at the Cobb. Yeah, but this. I mean, this movie just kicks ass. Yeah. 
And I mean, God, Graham went into enough detail, but there's something that we should talk about. I think that this has a couple of the best hand-to-hand combat, just martial art fight scenes maybe ever, all thanks to this one totally badass character that Graham mentioned in his review, this character called Mad Dog, which is played by this guy who apparently worked for like the Indonesian secret service or something like that and no you know is a, you know he perfected this style of indonesian martial arts the name of it escapes me right now and it's something you see throughout the movie this fighting style but he's just so good at it and he's like just this little five foot seven indonesian guy who doesn't really look all that threatening he he's has pretty, this you know he's pretty buff oh uh, he's definitely ripped up man and just stone cold muscle but i mean he's got this like mullet and this you know goatee yeah. and he looks sort of unbecoming i guess if you're you know wanting to bring him to something like a social engagement (laughs) i guess but his name is mad dog and he's there to do work he's there to beat the hell out of you and kill boy does he oh my god and so what's so great about a character like this is he has a code yeah he has this moral code where he wants a fair fight he doesn't like guns in one of the best monologues to me of the year which is just a really well-written monologue when there's actually dialogue in this movie about how he doesn't like using guns to kill people because he compares it to eating takeout. It's just not the same. You don't get the same adrenaline rush. Instead, he likes to kill people with his bare hands, and then they launch into, again, one of the best one-on-one fights ever. Yeah, yeah. There's so many great scenes in this movie. A friend of the show, Phil Owen, just saw this movie today, and he singled out the scene where they sort of chop through a floor uh, in this apartment to escape Yeah, uh, as as his favorite scene in the movie. My favorite scene in the movie is when our protagonist takes on the machete guild. Yeah, oh my God. Uh, and, and that uh, very extended fight scene that takes place in a hallway. Where he wipes out like 15 guys. Oh my God, it's yeah. so cool. Yeah, it ends with one of those, again, one of those audible responses. Yeah. I mean, things are, bones are breaking here. Folks, this movie is not playing around. You really feel like the shit has been kicked out of you by the time that this movie's over. You really do. I was watching a clip on YouTube before I saw the movie, and I was out of breath after the three minutes after watching one of these action sequences. This is just pure, raw movie action yep. that I just wish came around more often than it does, but it doesn't. I think that the raid is all it's cracked up to be action-wise. And again, you're not going to get much plot-wise, but why should you? <laughs> it's secondary. It's, it it's a secondary concern uh, when the movie is delivering this much badassery, squeezing in a plot. It just seems <laughs> like it would be overkill. Well, the movie's not in Tuscaloosa anymore. It is playing in limited release, maybe still in Birmingham. I don't know. We'll have to get back to y'all on that. But it'll be on DVD sooner or later. See it on Blu-ray. But in terms of what's on DVD now, what's out there? Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. It's on my coffee table. This week. Yeah, I watched it this afternoon. How'd it hold up? Pretty awesome. That's how. Pretty awesome. Raid awesome. Uh, you know, I mean... <laughs> it's the, up there. It's up there. Yeah. I mean, this this is one of my favorite action movies of the last couple of years, too. Yeah. I mean, it's just a fun script. Brad Bird, you know, making his transition from animated film to live action really keeps things lively and funny. It's got a great cast and uh, just so many terrific action sequences, including the scaling of the Burj Khalifa, which is still one of my favorite scenes. It was I, it was my favorite scene of of last year in any movie. It's just a it's just a great action sequence. Yeah, I can't wait to revisit that sequence in the sandstorm car chase that followed it's so, that. It's so cool. And then the, another really cool, really tense scene is when they're 
walking down that hallway with that screen that's yeah. projecting the empty hallway and they're behind the screen. That's just so cool. And it came out of nowhere. I didn't see it in the advertisements at all. Yeah. So it was a nice surprise. But yeah, Brad Bird obviously is comfortable in any arena that he's filming in, be it animation or live action. So whatever, if it is one of those two, it's a Brad Bird movie and I can't wait for yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly feel comfortable calling this the best Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. I don't know if I'll go that far. It might have the best action, but all I can really say is I like three of them and I don't really like Mission Impossible 3. And the others are kind of toss-ups. What can you do? Yeah. No offense to J.J. Abrams or anything. Also on DVD and Blu-ray is Steve McQueen's Shame for discerning viewers, Yeah, I should should say. Because um, I think you had a better response to this movie than I did. It's incredibly acted and it's very well shot. But it's a little frustrating to me as a drama. Because the obliqueness of its characters gets frustrating for me to a point when you're expected to spend, I don't know, this extended period of really unpleasant time with this group of pretty unpleasant people. And they're almost teasing you about this backstory that you'll never get. Uh, It makes for frustrating drama, but like I said, the performances from Golden Globe nominee Michael Fassbender and Carey Mulligan are really terrific. And Steve McQueen is is one of those filmmakers that um, after only two movies, after only Hunger and Shame, he's he's one he's a guy that you've just got to watch out for. His next movie sounds really cool, yeah, too. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Can't wait for that. Another collaboration with Michael Fassbender. But with Shame, I think that it accomplishes what it sets out to do, but it just really depends on whether or not you're intrigued by that in the first place. I mean, it's it's interesting. As far as a portrait of addiction goes, it's it's really riveting, but it's it's exceedingly unpleasant. I mean, of course it's supposed to be. I mean, you'd get that from the title, and it doesn't pull any punches with its depiction of sex addiction either. Hence the NC-17 rating. Well, and I don't think that the real draw here is this really bleak look into this world or this specific world of sex addiction or how it relates to this young man in New York City. I think the the draw narratively is probably how this guy is incapable of feeling true or I guess true feelings or emotions when it comes to a legitimate romantic relationship and what happens to him when those feelings start to surface. I think that that is the most interesting aspect of this movie and it, it works for me. There's a really brutal scene where he's actually getting intimate with a girl that he might actually have something real with and then it just takes a really sad left turn and I think it's a really strong point in the movie. Yeah, I like that scene. I I didn't, that that subplot kind of felt, I don't know, half-baked to me, but um, but I, I appreciated what they were going for. Although I think that's about it on, on DVD and Blu-ray. It's kind of a slow week this week. Well, I watched a movie that's been on DVD for a while now, but only was just recently released on Redbox, and that was David Gordon Green's comedy The Sitter, which I found pretty tolerable. I like it. I honestly do. I, th- I think it's funny. It's got jokes, yeah. you know, and honestly, Jonah Hill is good in it. And I'm not the biggest Jonah Hill fan, but the strengths of this movie line, his just interacting with these young kids who are just bratty and they're little punks and they're actually pretty decent child actors. I won't go off the rails about these kids from uh, where the wild things are. Yeah. I don't know. He has his moments, I guess, but uh, (laughs) get your eye on that. For for the most part, I think that they're pretty good, but Jonah Hill just sort of riffing with them and riffing with these other people dropping these ridiculous references. There's a part in it where the valet, when the, the, the valet comes to him and says, we don't have your car. We lost your car. And, Jonah Hill just so quickly says, you didn't lose your Morrissey gift set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the kid has this pompadour this dumb, type Yeah, thing. this dumb twilight hair. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. That made me laugh out loud. Yeah. And then there's a Bill Bibb DeVoe reference uh, late in the movie, too, when they're at this pool hall. It's just fantastic. And yeah. that's when Jonah Hill is 
good and that i mean he he's he's a fine actor as he's shown in moneyball and 21 jump street but i mean when the guy is just sort of given this green light to improvise even though that's a criticism i have of modern comedy it's just what jonah hill happens to be very good at and i think that that's well shown in a movie like the sitter but i don't really get why david gordon green directed it yeah why not yeah I mean, eventually he's got to get back to making real movies, but uh, for the time being, diversions like The Sitter are okay. Well, now playing in theaters nationwide and in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16, this movie, The Lucky One, with Zac Efron. Midnight showing. Raise the roof. Your picture saved my life. Think Like a Man, this Kevin Hart movie with Turtle from Entourage, which is based on a Steve Harvey book. Skip the uh, press screening for that one. (laughs) You missed out. And Chimpanzee, which makes hearts melt when the trailer comes on before whatever Boy movies. does it. Oh my Everybody God. just thinks that's the most adorable looking thing. <laughs> I might check that out. I don't know. Are you going to see any of these? No. Yeah. No. Skipping, skipping the theaters this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to come up with something else mm-hmm. unless you want to go two hours on the lucky one. Hey, I you bet. never know. It's, it's, from, it's from director Scott Hicks. He directed a Best Picture nominee, Shine. Okay. It's the director of Shine, man. <sighs> Shine. I don't know. We'll figure something out. Check us out uh, in the meantime at aspectradio.net. You can email any of your feedback to feedback at aspectradio.net. Find us on twitter.com slash aspectradio or facebook.com slash aspectradio. And check us out on al.com and tusk205.com. Find us on iTunes with a quick search or click the link on our blog. You can read Corey's DVD column in Tusk Magazine every Friday in the Tuscaloosa News or on tusk205.com. Follow his Tusk musings on Twitter at Corey Tusk Movies. And be sure to visit our friend Matt Scalici's website, filmnerds.com, where you'll now find a new post from our friend Ben Stark, who has conquered his shelf of shame and lived to tell about it. What did he, what did he have? He had the Decalogue. He watched the entire Decalogue? Yeah, and that's it's like this is, it's supposed to be five movies. Yeah. And yeah, he, he watched more than that, it seems. He had Gone with the Wind. He had Dazed and Confused, and I'm trying to think of the rest of them now. I'm having a brain fart here, but... I haven't seen the Decalogue, but I've seen the other two. He knocked them out. I think, I don't know, I think for kids our age who grew up around something like Dazed and Confused, that seems like a must-see for people our age, Yeah, in my opinion, because I think... It's it's pretty good. I don't know what movie captures the high school experience better than that movie. I mean, if you were born in the 50s, American Graffiti. Well, I mean, if you were born in the 30s, rather, it's it's like It's like... American Graffiti. I yeah. mean, it's an apt comparison, and I think that Richard Linklater would probably make that comparison himself. Here's a terrifying thought. Okay. Is Superbad that movie for our generation? I'm not. I was totally going to bring that up, actually, because <laughs> I think that Superbad will be that movie for people a little bit younger than us. I think I'll accept that it will be that for people younger than us, but I'm not willing to go that far personally. Okay. I don't know. Just wondering. It just doesn't touch Days and Confused to me, which is like an annual watch for me. Mm-hmm. Gotta watch it. I think it's okay. Well, (laughs) thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Richardson. And until next week, from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I'm Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. This is Aspect Radio. Thanks for listening. We should put it together a supercut of how of uh, of Ben saying how he doesn't like child actors. So I bet that's <laughs> it, it would be lengthy. Uh, I'm not seeing extremely loud, incredibly close because of the child actors. Child actors. Child yeah, actors. You find a way to work it into your conversations. I'm not. I'm not typically a big fan of child actors. Yeah, f- those kids, man. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, well, whenever you guys are ready. All right. It's just like, I think the kid, the child actors work so much better when they don't know where they are. They don't know that they're even in a movie. The camera's just rolling, and they're just doing what somebody says off the You know that's, um, that's impossible, no. what you just described. It's a totally no. impossible thing. No, no, it's not. Because if you watch, like, Close Encounters, for instance, that kid doesn't know where the He's hell like he is. He's, like, three. Exactly. So, you like, ages one to four are the only children who think, can act I in I think movies. those are usually the best child performances, but... Or really dumb kids who just don't have any yeah, self-awareness. Yeah, really dumb kids. Well, I mean, look, there are some exceptions for sure. Like, uh, if you look at something like Bad News Bears, obviously those kids know that they're in the movie, and it's great. They're fantastic. But I don't know. I think it has a lot to do with coddling the kids and telling them how great they are instead of being, like, actual parents or disciplinarians on the set and actually getting them to do with they're supposed to do and clean up their damn room, you know, and act in the damn movie. But if the kid knows what a script is, then that means they're annoying little pissant shits and they're usually not going to be any good. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was really, really harsh. I was going to have more to say, but I think I'll leave it at that. <laughs> that was good.